Welcome to the latest podcast from Greyfriars Church in Reading. Our vision is to see Reading transformed by the love and power of Jesus. If you'd like to find out more, head online to our website, greyfriars.org.uk. Enjoy. I want to start this morning by asking you a question. As you look ahead to the next year, the next five years, the next ten years, what do you want from your life. I know at the moment it can feel a bit strange and a bit difficult to look forward, you know, to look beyond lockdown and coronavirus. Uh, but I just want you to have a go. What what is it that you long for, that you desire for yourself? What's your dream for the next 10 years? If I had to guess, Uh, what you were thinking or perhaps if we were to pool our answers together if I had to guess what would keep on cropping up time and time again that would be the top uh, of many of our lists uh, would be some similar things you know I imagine there is longing for that relationship the desire to see our careers progress The hope for the chance to to share those new and exciting experiences uh, with the people that we love. You know, those are all great things. Those are all great things to desire in these next 10 years. They might be just the right thing for you to have your sights on at the moment. But I also wonder how many of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, and you know, I'm not going to ask you to share what you thought of with anything, so let's be honest with ourselves. I wonder how many of us would have listed, even in our top three while we were thinking, those things that Paul lists when he's praying for the church in Philippi. Because Paul prays for three things that he longs to see in their lives. That the Christians at Philippi would grow in love, that they would grow in wisdom, and that they would grow in godliness. You know, maybe you've got your priorities in life better fixed in your heart than I do, but if I'm honest, I'm not sure that my mind went to the same things that Paul's mind went to when he thought about his vision for the future. Maybe I would have managed that first one. Maybe I, I did long to grow in my love of God, my relationship with God. But if I'm honest, I don't even think those second two would come into my thinking when I think about the future. And I think part of the reason for that, maybe you are similar to me, maybe you didn't think of those things either. And I think part of the reason for that is the Christian culture that most of us have have found ourselves living in. Because you see, the, the mistake I think we've made as the church is that we think too much and too often that being a Christian is just about praying a prayer getting saved, and then having a guaranteed ticket to heaven when we die. And, you know, we haven't known as the church too often what to do with that time in between that prayer and that death. 
You know, that time where where we all find ourselves living, we haven't known what to do with that space. But you see, that isn't the sort of vision for the Christian life that we see in the teaching of Jesus or in the Bible. Because being a follower of Jesus isn't about pie in the sky when you die. No, it's, it's exactly what it says on the tin. It's about following Jesus. It's about our lives being turned upside down and completely restructured as we discover that a different king is on the throne and as we choose to give our allegiance to him, becoming citizens of that kingdom. And you know, with that vision of the Christian life, with the Bible's vision of the Christian life, of following Jesus, what happens in the next 5, 10, 20 years becomes a very different concern for each one of us. Because the Christian life isn't about sitting in a waiting room, waiting to die, but it's an invitation to a new kind of life today. And in that new life, there are things that we can hope for, things we can have a vision for, things we can long to grow into. Growing love, greater wisdom, deepening godliness. And Paul demonstrates this for us in this prayer that we've just read together. And, and in this prayer, his focus isn't primarily directed inwards towards himself, though I am sure he could have prayed these words for himself, and I'm sure he did. But rather, his attention is focused outwards. He's praying for his brothers and sisters in Christ whom he loves. Or as he puts it in verse 7, he's praying for those people who he has in his heart. And so today I want to think with you about Paul's vision for the Christian life. And I, I hope that together we can be inspired, that we can be inspired to share that vision, to long for those same things for ourselves, that we'll be inspired to pray, not just for ourselves, but for others, that we might step more and more into this life in Christ. So let's jump in. Let's look at Paul's vision for life. And firstly, would you look with me at verse 9, where Paul prays this. He prays that their love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. The first thing that Paul prays for is that their love would grow. And I want you to notice something with me about the love that Paul prays for. Because notice how he doesn't qualify it. You know, he doesn't pray that they would love one another more, or that they would love God more, or that they would love Paul himself more. No, he simply prays that their love, unqualified, may abound. Paul's vision for these Christians that he cared for was that they would be people of ever-increasing love. That just as the God that they followed was characterised by love, so too would they be characterised by love. That their love would be unlimited, that their love 
uh, love would be poured into their hearts by the Holy Spirit, that they would become people whose lives and characters were built upon a foundation of love. Because love, true love, is the defining characteristic of the Christian life. The theologian called Francis Baer puts it like this. He says, love in the most comprehensive sense is the central element of the Christian life. Or I don't know if you've got any How I Met Your Mother fans out there, but in the words of Ted Mosby, love is the best thing that we do. Love is what Christians are all about. And the love that Paul prays for his Philippian family is not a stingy, miserly love, but it's one that abounds. You know, we might say that this is a love that overflows, that is so abundant and inexhaustible that it can't hope to be contained within a single human life, but that it inevitably overflows into the lives of those around the Christian who is full of such love. This love is overflowing, it's abundant, and finally, to quote those great philosophers Boston, this love is more than a feeling. It's a love that Paul says he, he longs to abound with knowledge and insight. It's a love that knows how to demonstrate and work itself out in the lives of the people to whom it is given. And we all know, don't we, the difference between a person who simply tells us that they love us and a person who actually loves us. Someone who shows it, who lives it, who does it. It's been said, it's cheesy, but love is a verb. True love works itself out in people's lives. And it's that sort of love that God wants his people to be filled with, that Paul is praying for these Christians that he cares for. Paul longs that the Philippians would grow in love. Secondly, he prays that they would grow in wisdom. Look with me at verse 10. He prays that, that they may be able to discern what is best. Discernment, wisdom, uh, is an important and valuable characteristic. But I think it's one that we don't give much attention to uh, in our lives today. It's perhaps not something you've thought about much recently. Because another way that we could translate what Paul is praying for here is this. He's praying that they might be able to tell what things are really important, are really beautiful, are really valuable. That, that they might be able to know the best things amongst the goods and to turn their attention towards it, fill their minds with it and act upon it. That's wisdom. Being able to find the best amongst the good, knowing what is worth our time, worth our attention. It's what the theologian James Moffat called the sense of what is vital. 
It's a bit like that ability that we have, that most of us have, in, in a room full of noise, of talking, of clamour, to be able to pick out the voice of the person across the table who's speaking to us. To be able to pick out the sound in the midst of all that noise of the one who is most important to us. That's wisdom. That's discernment. And wisdom is something that we are all in desperate need of. Perhaps now more than ever. Because this 21st century world in which we find ourselves living today is, if nothing else, a world full of noise. It's a world full of social media, politicians, advertising, content creators and influencers all trying to tell us what really matters. It's a world in which we carry these devices in our pockets that are definitely more but not less than attention harvesting machines that are designed to sell our focus, to steal our attention and sell it to the highest bidder. Now, our attention is one of the most valuable resources that we have, and it takes wisdom and discernment to know how to direct it. And it's that sort of wisdom that we sorely need. It's wisdom that shapes our ability to love. Because how we give our attention shows, defines, enacts how we love. The philosopher Simone Weil calls uh, our love for our neighbour our creative attention. Our love is, is where we watch for what our neighbour, our loved one needs, so that we know how we can provide for that need. We need wisdom. We need discernment, and so Paul longs and prays that it would grow in the lives of the Philippian church. Paul prays for growth in love, for growth in wisdom, and finally, Paul prays that we would grow in godliness. Let's look at verse 11. Paul prays that we may be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Paul prays for this church that he loves that they would be filled with, with the fruit that I hope is becoming increasingly familiar with us as a church at Greyfriars. It, it seems to keep on cropping up. Uh, everywhere we turn. I don't know if you've experienced that, but I feel like most Sundays I'm talking about this fruit that God wants to see born in our lives. We see Paul talk about it elsewhere in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's the fruit of a life that is rooted in Jesus. And Paul wants us to be filled with this fruit. But when you hear that word filled, he doesn't mean filled as if as if feasting. He's not talking about some overstuffed glutton consuming from others at a dinner table. Cast that picture out of your mind. Think instead of a heavy laden fruit tree bearing an abundant harvest, an abundant crop of righteousness that's ready to go out and bless 
others. And righteousness, this fruit of righteousness, is a whole life concept for Paul. It's not just godly living. We often think of righteousness, don't we, about how we act, and it is that, but it's not just that. It's not just godly living, but it's also godly character. He prays that the Philippian church would be transformed in who they are and what they do. He's praying that having been filled with love and given wisdom to know where to place their attention, they would now have the power and the character to go and live out the love that they are abounding with, that they are overflowing with. And I don't know about you, but whatever vision I come to for my, with, uh, whatever vision I come with for my own life, as I hear Paul's vision for his brothers and sisters in Philippi, his vision for the Christian life, I realise that I want this for myself. In ten years' time, I want to be where Paul is describing. It's what I want for myself, it's what I want for you, it's what I want for God's church and for this country. I want it in the future, but do you know what? More and more, I want it and I know we need it in the here and now. Because I've been reflecting on this prayer over the last week as I've been preparing. And time and time again, my mind has been drawn to our current situation. And this cry that has arisen in our country and around the world uh, for justice. You know, I've seen uh, this Black Lives Matter movement, thank God, taking hold, spreading throughout the world. And I'm aware that in order to play my part, whatever that looks like, in order to play my part in seeing God's kingdom come, on earth as it is in heaven. I need more love and I need more wisdom and I need more godliness. I need more active love in my heart for my brothers and sisters who are facing daily oppression in big ways and small. I need the wisdom to know where to give my attention, to listen to the right voices and not just to settle for what might be good, but to seek God's best for our time, to discern his heart for the oppressed and to hear his voice proclaiming justice in the world. And I, I need more godliness to have the courage to act. To not just have good intentions and to think good thoughts, but to actually live a life worthy of the calling I've received, loving all of God's children and willing to pay the price to serve and love those that the unjust structures of our world have failed. I need it. I need more love, more wisdom, more godliness. It's my prayer for myself, that's my prayer for us as a church, that God would con 
continually and increasingly make us this sort of people who work towards God's kingdom now while we live rather than just waiting for God's kingdom when we die. Greater love, greater wisdom, greater godliness. That's the vision. But how do we get it? Let me just finish with two quick thoughts. Firstly, let's jump back to Paul's confidence in verse 6. He says this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. You know, I just want to remind you that in these verses, Paul is praying for all of these things. He's not commanding them. He's not demanding that the Philippian church lives up to it. But he's crying out to God that he would pour his love, his wisdom and his godliness into the hearts and lives of the Philippian church by his Holy Spirit. And as he prays, he is confident. He's confident because he knows it isn't down to the Philippians, but it's down to Jesus who will see this work completed. So I want to remind you today that it's not, your, it's not the quality of your faith that is most important, but it's the object of your faith. It's not how well you follow, but it's who you follow. And we follow Jesus. And this Jesus, this King, is faithful and powerful and loving and true. And we can trust that he will see this work of growth completed in our lives. Maybe you can't believe it for yourself. Maybe you can't see how your life could ever look like this. Well, can I pray over you a blessing of confidence and hope that the one in whom you can place your trust is faithful and he will see his good work completed in your life? Firstly, Jesus does this. And secondly, just as Paul prays for this, so too should we. We should join with Paul in praying this for our brothers and sisters, for one another. I'm going to be praying this for you in the days and weeks ahead. Please pray for me. We should pray this for one another and do you know what? we should pray this vision over ourselves as well. You know, prayer isn't the only thing we should do. It's not the last thing God will call us to do. You know, God will and does call us to live and to act and to practice this love, this wisdom, this godliness in our day to day lives. Prayer isn't the only thing that we'll do, but let's make prayer the first thing that we do. Let's dare to believe that as we cry out to our loving father in heaven, that he might hear us. He might respond he might heal our hearts and transform us. Let's pray with confidence in this God who can complete, who will complete, who is completing this work within us.